And that's in part true, although that is also prefaced by what I believe is the character DHH from the play part of the play with the musical. Yeah, yeah. Telling us about the experience of getting stabbed. Everybody, welcome back to No Script, an unscripted conversation about theater's best scripts. I'm Jacob Mann Christensen. And I am Jackson Nikolai. Welcome back, everyone. We're here at the final stage of our themed month of this season. That's right. We have been spending the month of April as these episodes come out, or just our themed month in season eight. That I think so. for, yeah. for per, per, per <laughs> perpetuity, if you look back at this season, talking right. about the plays of David Henry Huang, a prolific, a profound, and influential playwright, contemporary playwright in America. There, there's hard to find a playwright who has more more impacted the American theater than David Henry Huang, at least the contemporary American theater, than David Henry Huang. So it has been a privilege to spend this month on his scripts. Yeah, it's true. So so prior to this month, we had already discussed his play, Yellow Face. Um, That's we, such a the, good play. It's a Man, great play. I love Yellow Face. That's a great <laughs> yeah. play. Yeah. Oh. Uh, we started off this themed month with talking about M. Butterfly. We then moved on to Golden Child. Last week, we talked about Chinglish. And this week, we are talking about his newest play, Soft Power. Right. So we have sort of, in our conversations about Huang, we've sort of spanned a huge sense of his career, right? We've talked about M. Butterfly, which to this day is his most famous, most well-renowned play. It It's the kind of play that appears on, like, top 10 scripts of the past 50 years kinds of lists online is yep. M. Butterfly. It really made him as a writer, as a theater thinker, as a, an influential theater artist. And now at the end of this month, we are coming to his most recent project of prominence, his musical Soft Power, which stealing from myself uh, was nominated for the 2020 Pulitzer Prize for Drama. He's been so close to that Pulitzer yeah. so many times. That's got to yep. be frustrating. Although, I, truly, I don't know if he even cares about the Pulitzer, but right. if he does, <laughs> it's got to be frustrating. He's so close. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Although, as we've said on the show, often, finalist is pretty good. Yeah, um, that's for, true. I'd love to be a Pulitzer. finalist for the Absolutely. Pulitzer Prize. Three yep. times? Sure. That's great. <laughs> Yeah, no, I'm excited to get to talk about it. This is a great play. Turns uh, like it has a lot of resonances with, with some of the themes we've already talked about. Oh, yeah. Some of the, and also like turns a lot of them on their head. Turns a lot of American theater on its head and examines it for what it is. I'm excited to get to talk about it. Before we jump into the conversation, though, I do want to take just a second and thank our patrons as we do every week. Thank you all so much for being a part of the No Script community and making this show happen. We are completely supported by our patrons over on Patreon.com/slash/NoScriptPod. Thank you all so much for making the choice to become patrons of the show. If you're looking for a way to help out the show, patreon.com slash podcast is a great way to do it. Uh, whether you're a first-time listener joining for this themed month for the first time or a long-time listener just looking to help out the show, that's the way to do it. We have a number of different tiers over there for as little as $1 a month, $12 over the course of a year. You can uh, support the show and be a part of uh, being sure that we get to continue having these unscripted conversations 
friends, being a part of being sure that we continue to have theme months and special guests on the show each year. So looking for a way to help out the show. We'll see you over at patreon.com slash no script podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you to our supporters. We were just so honored by your choice to make no script happen every month. That's that's just so wonderful. We couldn't be more grateful. Now back to the script. Here we go. But first, Jackson, how are you doing today? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you might all hear me kind of slogging through a little bit of the end of a cold, um, ah. which is fine. Don't worry. I've only taken about four of those at-home tests. It's probably most likely definitely not COVID. I'm fine. I just might sound a little less chipper today. <laughs> <laughs> and hey, full transparency, we're recording this much earlier in the day than we're yeah. typically used to recording it's this. true. So the grog of... Of sleep is is not in our far past right now. We are not morning podcasters. Not sort really. Of, yeah, sort of as a yeah. rule. So just, yeah, yeah, you know what? <laughs> Keep that in mind as we dive into soft power, uh, which is just a uh, a delightful, strange adventure. Yes, <laughs> and I'm yes. excited to talk about what uh, David Henry Huang has done. So this musical is uh, a book and lyrics by David Henry Huang, music and additional lyrics by Janine Tessery. And and David Henry Huang will say in interviews that uh, Tessery, who's probably the most famous female um, uh, musical, boy, I'm, I'm struggling right now. What uh, music? Writer. What is, yeah, what, yeah, is yeah. what is a word for a music writer? Composer. Composer. <laughs> Composer for music. Goodness, that took a while. Composer <laughs> for musical theater. Um, probably the most famous female composer for musical theater, at least in America, uh, ever. And and so it's a big deal, I think, personally, I think, for him and her to be able to collaborate on a show like this. And so David Henry Huang talks about in interviews how she was so involved in the lyrics writing process that although he wrote the lyrics, you know, in the in the all what's going to appear on your script, she is going to be credited for those additional lyrics because it was such a tightly ingrained process. Of course, Tesori, she is famous for Fun Home. Uh, actually, a lot of this musical sounds very much like Fun Home. Uh, the thoroughly modern Millie, she wrote the music for that, uh, the stage musical of that movie. And uh, Carolina Change is her most famous sort of big recent project. Um, this play was uh, started to be developed early as, as sort of in the aftermath of the 2016 election. Some of it was written before that and altered as the 2016 elections sort of changed the landscape of America. Finally got its world premiere at the Amundsen Theater in Los Angeles in May of 2018. Then it played at the Curran Theater in San Francisco in June of that year. Finally, it made its off-Broadway debut in September of 2019. That was at the Public Theater. And Lee Silverman, our old friend, Friend. Not really. We've just mentioned her name several times because she, as a director, works so closely with David Henry Huang. She took the reins on this off-Broadway debut as well. Of course, what happened to the play after its public theater stint in the fall of 2019 is the pandemic happens yeah. to this script. As we have been tracking for the past few years on this podcast, this play musical belongs to that group of scripts which were coming into their prominence their time in the light 
right before the pandemic, right? These are the kinds of stories that would have just been about to make the leap to prominence in terms of how many houses are producing the script or prominence in terms of a Broadway run or those kinds of ideas, right? I don't know that any of that specifically was true about this script, but its time period is it was just about to be ready for that kind of time in the limelight uh, when the pandemic happened. And of course, things really, even to this day, have not really gotten back to normal in the world of theater. So that's sort of the end of the context is the fall of 2019 because the spring of 2020 ended theater for the past like two years or at least that level of theater. Yeah, yeah. It's it's definitely one of those plays that got affected by it. It's interesting because the play ends on such a, like a hopeful note, and we'll, we'll we'll get into that in a little bit yeah. about like the sort of future that's coming. And it's just interesting to kind of note the moment that like a lot of in a lot of ways the hope did come, uh, at least in the context of the play, the hope did come, but a lot of ways the world didn't get like super super better. Uh, so, <laughs> so so yeah, it was just, just interesting to kind of note the play's context in time uh, around that. And, and that's a good way to kind of jump into the synopsis of the of the play as well. Real real quick before the synopsis, I, there, there's just a couple more things I want to say context-wise, which is just about the, uh, the, the praise and the laud and the awards that this script received during that development and off-Broadway time, right? This won six Ovation Awards, which is an L.A.-based theater award in 2019. It was nominated for five Lucille Lord Awards. It was had 11 nominations for the 2020 Drama Desk Awards. It received four honors at the Outer Circle Critics Award, and of course, it was a finalist for the 2020 Pulitzer Prize for Drama, which that year we have already discussed the winner of that year, which was the play A Strange Loop, that musical by Michael R. Jackson that started off our season a couple seasons ago. But also at nominee that year was Heroes of the Fourth Turning, which is a Will Arbery play. I've seen the great recorded production of Heroes of the Fourth Turning, which is also a fascinating, incredibly moving script. So that was one of those years years, which doesn't always happen in the Pulitzers, one of those years where all of the scripts that were finalists and and the winner were just wowza awesome scripts. Yeah, yeah, that, that's a, that's a, a good team to be to be on there with all, all those scripts in it. Yeah. Okay, so so let's 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 jump into the conversation a little bit. Again, synopsis is a very uh, timely play. It's set in 2016, um, right around the time of the 2016 election. The 2016 election features prominently in it. The uh, the the play takes place uh, with with two kind of bookends again. Um, uh, this play is often described as a play that becomes a musical or a musical with a play. The The first part of the play, the first about 20 pages of the play, is just a comedy. It centers on uh, uh, the character DHH, which if you uh, listen to our conversation about Yellowface, is uh, David Henry Huang's kind of uh, autobiographical character, sort of, kind of, maybe, um, that, that appears in some of his plays. And uh, DHH is being asked by a uh, 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 entertainment company out of Shanghai to uh, do a play for them. They're, they're building a new theater and their representative, Shui Shuing, um, is uh, there in, in, in America, in Los Angeles, trying to get DHH to write this play 
for for them. They, they want to do uh, it's it's a play based on a, a movie of uh, uh, that 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 is fairly uh, popular in Shanghai uh, that that carries a lot of themes of like um, uh, fidelity and and this this couple who no longer is in love with each other finds other people that they're in love with and try to pursue that for a while, but eventually wind up back together and the kind of commitment to each other comes through. And that's the first kind of sticking point for DHH. He wants to kind of mess with that a little bit and and adjust the ending so that it's a little less um, uh, focused on that commitment. He wants them to maybe you know explore loving other people and outside of their outside of their uh, their their marriage. And that's that's uh, a bit of a, a pro or a problemish for uh, Shui Shuing who wants to kind of stick close to that more traditional method. The English translation of the title of the movie that Shui Shuing wants DHH to adapt, I think I got all that correct. The English yeah. translation of that title is like something to the effect of stick with your mistake. And that yeah. phrase, stick with your mistake, right, it, in the context of the story is like this husband and wife who don't love each other decide to end up staying together despite the fact that their marriage is more or less over in any sort of romantic or affectionate sense of the phrase. Uh, but it goes on to have a couple of different meanings through the different levels of the play musical thing. So, so DHH kind of says he'll watch this, the film, uh, says he'll think about it, and also says that he happens to be going to a rally tonight, and uh, well, first a play, but then then a rally uh, to meet uh, Hillary Clinton, who's in town, who is campaigning for the election. He he says that she is going to be the next president of the United States, and uh, that that she that which he's gonna look, go meet I know. Looking back, we're like, oh, how could you ever say? But like. Everybody remembers that that like oh, yeah. was the assumption, right? <laughs> yep. <laughs> like you write this before the 2016 election, and you're like, "That is what's going to happen." Right. What? Uh huh. <laughs> the the executive Shui Shuing, uh, like is excited. He he wants to meet Hillary Clinton as well. So he uh, joins in and asks if he can bring a friend. Uh, he he brings Zoe to the the play, and the play that they watch is The King and I. Um, the, the, which is uh, you know, we, we I think that's come up in other conversations, probably mostly in. Yellow Face is the one where, where we've touched on a little bit, but The King and I, uh, obviously a lot of tropes in that play. Rodgers and Hammerstein musical about a, a Western white woman coming and helping um, this, this uh, yeah, uh, Chinese king uh, help. Yeah, for the sake of this musical, I guess we could say that The King and I is like a white hero character goes to help a politically important Asian characters solve their country's dilemmas. I think you could say like yeah. that in the most general sense of the plot. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Um, uh, during during that 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 play, you, you, they kind of watch it. They talk about the kind of complication of those plot points, especially within a, a more modern uh, 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 context. And uh, and uh, uh, Shui ends up like going off uh, talking to someone while DHH and Zoe talk a little bit about their sort of relationship. It comes out that uh, Shui and Zoe are kind of in this uh, sort of uh, affair, even though Shui is married and doesn't want to leave his wife. So a lot of echoes of the film that they're trying to base the play on. Schweshwing meets Hillary Clinton offstage and uh, comes back having said that he he met her and she she le left the, the conference after that. And uh, then they kind of part ways and DHH is walking home after this. He has gone to get groceries and in a, in a kind of a uh, storytelling mode, he tells the story of being stabbed on the way home, stabbed in the neck by someone that he never sees and walking himself to the hospital. Now this is a good moment to kind of note what has been a pattern um, in our conversation 
passionate about David Henry Huang plays. Um, that that they're somewhat uh, that that the stories that that generate them are often just as interesting as the play itself. This is actually in part a real story from uh, David Henry Huang's life. He was actually stabbed on the way home carrying groceries. Stabbed in the neck. Yeah. And he walked to the hospital to receive treatment. He was stabbed in the neck. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. There's a New York Times piece that you can read where he actually wrote about the event. Um, it's a real event in his life that he brings into this play. And what happens is after getting to the ER, he kind of has this fever dream about a musical that he can write uh, for for this 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 uh, production company for the Shanghai Theater. the The musical takes place about fifty years in the future in a world where uh, uh, China has kind of stepped into world leadership, and uh, after America has collapsed after result after uh, as a result of the twenty sixteen election. And is is kind of uh, putting on this musical on its 50, 50 year anniversary to kind of show the events of that from a Chinese perspective. So um, that 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 play begins with um, sh the character Shui Shuing uh, leaving Shanghai to come over to America to kind of enlist uh, uh, DHH. Very similar plot structure. Uh, he's enlisting DHH to help write this show. Um, and in the process, he meets Hillary Clinton, who is uh, campaigning for presidency. And this is where, I mean, the, the events of the play follow uh, follow the first act or the first 20 pages pretty well. But they start to, you start to kind of catch up uh, on the the tact that the, the playwright is using in that these numbers start to become appropriative of American theater and American zeitgeist. You have uh, the campaign rally uh, happening in a McDonald's, for instance, in, in one production picture, she rides in on a burger to start her campaign rally speech. <laughs> uh, so, And again, the she is Hillary Clinton as right. a character in this play, right? Just as we're thinking about this play's connection with the king and I, we're thinking about a white head of state type character in the middle of their country's political turmoil. So in this case, Hillary Clinton becomes the figure of the king in The King and I. Yeah, yeah, and and that's and that starts to lean in really hard right away. It becomes uh, much more uh, clear that Shui Shuing kind of becomes the the person the who is I. coming to help. <laughs> yeah, the I, the person who is coming to help this uh, white diplomat try to uh, be okay. Um, uh, in, a, in a very similar kind of languagey based number, he teaches her uh, her his name and and the the kind of tonal language of Chinese and the way to say his name. Um, and and of course, uh, what the the kind of uh, act break happens after uh, uh, the, the loss of the election. There's a great number where they kind of walk through the ballot box as the sorting hat of the election and walking through the electoral <laughs> process. Just, uh, David Henry Hong describes the guy, they, they call him the chief justice in the play, but it just in general is like the person who's going to count the votes in this sort of staged version of American democracy. The stage directions say he's like, a Dumbledore-like figure. Yeah. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and important to note, too, in this sort of uh, musical within the play, DHH becomes this uh, this this figure who's wrestling with their uh, identity over uh, whether, whether they, they, they have a love for America, they, they, they claim that they're American, but they also, Shui uh, 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 Shuing is, is kind of noting how uh, they also belong, uh, at least in some way, to their, their Chinese heritage as well. So... 
the, the conversation becomes a lot of DHH introducing Schwishwing to a lot of these kind of American stereotypes and and ways of life, including the, the ballot box. Um, uh, on, on through the play we go. The second act uh, of, of the musical has a lot more uh, uh, ex- expanding on the theme. However, it's broken up by this intra-act, which has the in, the, in the kind of 50 years in the future, there's an act break in Shanghai where they bring on uh, a, a, a quote-unquote expert about American culture to kind of talk about this moment. And it's, it's a brilliant... Well, it's brilliant... like it's a panel of like professors, like Asian professors and teachers in this futuristic China. And then there's like a token white expert who is yep. like knows the culture and, and very much in the sense that like you might have a panel on the King and I in America <laughs> and it would be mostly white people and like one token Asian expert. Right, right. Yeah. A per- perfect reversal there. And you just kind of notice all of the ways uh, that the commentary on appropriation is happening. The lens through which the uh, kind of uh, American culture is, is portrayed uh, begins to you begin to see more and more of the culture of the kind of uh, barbaric American traits coming out. A lot of hoedown music starts to emerge in the second act. A lot of songs about guns and ownership of guns begins to emerge in the second act. The song um, "Good Guy with a Gun" is yep. incredible. It is. A, that is an amazing song. I love it. Mike yep. Pence featured prominently as a character uh-huh. in that song. as Veep. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll sum up the end of the play pretty quickly because I want to jump into the conversation. Um, the 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 uh, uh, Shwe goes and finds Hillary Clinton, who is kind of uh, in in hiding uh, as a rebel leader is is one of the terms that is used um, to, to uh, away from the current administration um, and and kind of meets with her and says that he's going to go and try to uh, help this new administration move into a new world uh, and and find their find themselves again. That's when we get the song with the Veep singing Good Guy with a Gun. Uh, He comes in, sings a song called The New Silk Road and kind of paints this picture of a a new world of partnership that that China is at the head of and it's okay, you can lay down your guns. And uh, eventually... Uh, he convinces the the current administration to lay down their guns and kind of join in with this. He comes out and tells Hillary Clinton that he's uh, figured it out and that uh, everything will be fine now. People uh, who actually deserve the job will be the leaders. And Hillary Clinton has this song where she owns that even though it's it's a broken, messed up thing, she loves democracy for what's it what it is and wouldn't trade it for the sort of leadership structure uh, where where the the most qualified person gets the job no matter what. Um, and and so there's this kind of uh, ballad at the end about democracy that uh, that holds both the complicatedness of democracy and also the vision of of what could be what it could be if we move forward um, and and the the kind of continuing theme of if you love someone you fight for them which uh, applies to both the the play that uh, that David Henry Hong is or DHH is writing as well as this democracy that 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 Hillary Clinton loves and so she's going to fight for it. Yeah, that's that that stick with stick with your mistake idea becomes like sort of the center of the end of the musical 
part of this play with the musical, like stick with democracy, even though there are mistakes, which is an odd sort of change to that idea because DHH was sort of so opposed, the character was sort of opposed to the stick with your mistake in context of the story about a married couple, but it sort of becomes the rallying cry for the Hillary Clinton character as she reflects on what democracy is, even after Trump, who's an unnamed character in this musical. We'll talk about Trump because he's very much talked about, but uh, I will say that the play musical doesn't use Trump's name ever, which I think is obviously a very deliberate choice by Huang. Um, But as Hillary Clinton reflects, the character reflects on the uh, what's all happened, that sort of becomes her idea, right? The democracy stick with it. And then there's this uplifting, inspirational, like maybe the people will be better and that will, you know, we there's this. I, I'm saying it more uh, uh, pessimistic than it probably is. It's very right. much like it's I, very, be- yeah. I believe that uh, the American people will rise up to show that the the voting masses can make empathetic, wise decisions. Right, which was which was you know again you're you're thinking like 20, 2018, 2019 is when this play is coming out. That's the that's the kind of rallying cry of that segment of of America at at that moment is is that we'll we'll figure this out. Um, uh, the kind of last thing worth noting before we jump into the conversation is this proverb is repeated. It is given by Shui uh, Shuing to DHH, DHH and DHH repeats it as as the kind of last line of the play. Um, it's that good fortune will follow if we somehow survive. Um, so that's the kind of, with the singing of demo- this, this ballad to democracy and all its complications and benefits, um, this, this, this proverb is quoted, good fortune will follow if we somehow survive, is the kind of rallying call to end the play. And we end the play in the musical, um, uh, which, which is interesting. I'm excited to get to talk about that a little bit because uh, we often, uh, the other three plays of this month, we've ended the play in one of the bookend scenes, but this kind of breaks that pattern a little bit. We get some information about the the uh uh the the comedy uh dhh but we we do end the play in the action of the musical within the play yeah well and it, it the end of the play is well i don't know it, this musical is is interesting to me because it is written just before the covid-19 pandemic And it's written with this sort of optimistic view of what might become of America, the idea of democracy lifting us up, the idea of the masses, you know, making those empathetic, wise decisions. And then the COVID-19 pandemic happens in America. (laughs) And very much the end of this play does not pan out. In the American masses. I mean, and so that's one of the things that this play, because it's so, it's so embedded in the cultural moment of what, uh, you know, the more progressive half of America was feeling, well, let's say, uh, you know, as Donald Trump's presidency gets to the middle and towards the end and we start to look towards hopefully what was going to happen next at that point. We didn't know who would win the next election, et cetera. There, there is this optimism and this hope that I wonder if DHH or no, I'm sorry, DHH is the character. If David Henry Huang was writing this sort of a cultural moment musical now, 
if that optimism would still be there. I mean, I have to be honest. This is more about me than the play, I recognize, so we can move swiftly past this topic. (laughs) But I found the end of the play oddly disharmonic. Oddly atonal with the cultural moment that I'm actually in right now. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. No, this 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 play, uh, in some ways, right. This segment of, of America did get some of what this play is advocating for, right? Like the the return to democracy. They, the, the this segment managed to vote out uh, Donald Trump in the in 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 the kind of. But we uh, still have millions of people who believe the election was fake. <laughs> Talk about return to democracy. I don't know, man. It's true. It's true. Yeah, no, and a lot of what it's interesting. It would be really interesting to see this, you know, a lot of plays uh, in this uh, bracket of plays that did not uh, get their proper Broadway move um, after their opening are having their returns uh, in in some way or another, either, you know, uh, either uh, an off-Broadway return or another return to the script or a tour is happening or something like that. It'd be interesting. It'll be interesting to see if soft power uh, does get that because it's such a different cultural moment right now as a result of the things that have happened since it closed. And, re- and as a reminder, it did not close as a result of the pandemic. It closed in uh, November of 2019. Right. It just didn't continue into further prominence because of the pandemic. Yeah, yeah. So, so it's so it's it just yeah. It would be interesting to see how this play runs in that context. Well, and talk about things that changed with the way that this play is speaking to the cultural moment as a result of the pandemic. Because you say the the end of the play musical thing is in the musical world, and that's in part true. Although that is also prefaced by what I believe is the character DHH from the play part of the play with the musical. Yeah, yeah. Telling us about the experience of getting stabbed. And that sort of in the aftermath of this, nobody was ever caught or charged. It was just sort of became an anonymous thing. And the assumption is sort of that this was an anti-Asian hate crime that was probably happening as a result of the anti-Asian hate that Donald Trump was stirring up because of his constant uh, tirades against China. And so DHH, the character, tells what I think is very much David Henry Huang, the playwright, speaking through his, his acronymic proxy. Uh, and basically saying, look, this was a this was an anti-Asian hate crime. They assumed that I was Chinese or something because I look Asian. And then they stabbed me and I started speaking in fluent English and they ran off, basically, right? But then what happens when the pandemic happens is that anti-Asian hate crimes get more and more common. And David Henry Wong talks about this, that because COVID, you know, there's this sort of cultural blame being placed on China as a country, Asian American people have experienced an extremely high rate of, of hate crimes since the pandemic. And this is a play inspired by the hate crime that David Henry Huang suffered before the pandemic. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. So I, I, I don't know. I mean, maybe it, it's it's not that the theme doesn't resonate still. No, um, no, like, it actually resonates like, more. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. But I, I like the, the the sort of moment that it's in is just like a really particular moment, right? It's a very. I mean, uh, I think I think actually a lot of the play is. Uh, uh, given an evergreenness by not naming the the other president, because um, they Hillary- just call him the president who hates China. Yeah, yep, 
Yeah, and and in a very similar way to the the King and I, which this play is kind of riffing on. Hillary Clinton, yes, is named Hillary Clinton, but it's not like it's not like she's an impersonation of Hillary Clinton. This is this is a uh, a it, she she pretty rapidly becomes just this politician who uh, Shui Shuing is is in in relationship with and trying to help out. So so the kind of evergreen nature of that, and just with the the, the lens being shifted onto American culture gives it a sort of evergreen nature and certainly a replayability the kind of given that it's grounded within our last like seven years or whatever it is uh does uh, make those who watch it though kind of think about the history of it it'll be interesting in because uh, again in the world of the play it's 50 years from now it'll be interesting to see what a production 50 years from now pulls from this play as it as it examines this cultural moment that we're in because we're still in the, we're basically still in both the current and the aftermath of that cultural moment so our perspective on what the the play is trying to either say or critique is is very uh very lived right now so and, so and, it, and, and even if David Henry Hong were trying to uh more accurate accurately reflect the events of this culture moment, which is not really even what he's trying to do, right? Even if it was, it's still a play that is supposed to be about the view of a future powerful China of these cultural events right now. I mean, it's sort of designed to make white America say, this is what we do to the cultural events that are, you know, the crucial, important cultural events that are occurring in Asian countries, and we sort of appropriate them into a story about something else, right? I mean, this idea of this musical as a reverse King and I or or other uh, sort of exotification Asian stories, right? I mean, M. Butterfly is very much does the same thing to the story of Madame Butterfly, the musical, right? So there's this, right? The 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 Asian hero comes to a white country, impacts a white politician. That's sort of on the very general level. But then you think about all the mistakes that are made in writing the musical that end up being revealed as as deliberate choices by David Henry Huang, of course, right? I mean, right? The Golden Gate Bridge is in New York City, and that's not true. McDonald's is like a fancy cultural icon, which is not really true. The The cast of the musical is all Asian actors in whiteface, right? And you start to see this more general view, this more um, specific, actually, critique of the way that white American culture takes these elements of Asian culture and Asian stories and twists and bends and smushes them to fit something that would be commercially popular in America. They take geographical things that aren't true, cultural things that aren't true. They just say, oh, well, who cares about the accuracy of the story? It's It's a commercial success for now. Yeah, yeah, and it's and it's kind of telling uh, almost a myth, um, a, a cultural myth that that is uh, that is kind of believed by the greater culture, and and I think that's that's an interesting way that this one this this play really kind of redefines and examines the musical because it's not it's not just there is certainly a critique of the Rodgers and Hammerstein era uh, musicals in it, but it's not just that. It's also kind of an homage to them. Oh, um, yeah. Well, they, they talk about the delivery system, right? That the, the some of the content of those musicals uh, is objectionable, uh, even very objectionable in places. Uh, but the delivery system is so gorgeous and effective. 
Yeah, yeah, and and you kind of see the the, the, uh, the yeah the delivery system in full effect, just used from a different uh, a dominant culture. So so you have the kind of yeah the 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 the, the appropriation of the the American theater scene, the appropriation of American tropes. You have the appropriation of even like uh, American dance styles. That if you if you watch some of the interviews from the choreographer, like that was a huge value was to kind of use these accepted American dance styles, but but like tropifies them a little bit. <laughs> and, and, and the music is that way too, right? I, I'm about to say something that is not my own idea. I've pulled this from interviews with David Henry Huang and Tessery and all of them, right? The the idea, there's the song, um, Jackson talks about it in the synopsis, where Shua Shuing, I, I, I'm not saying that correctly, but he teaches Hillary uh, how to say his name, right? Which yeah, is very yeah. complicated because Chinese is tonal and, and all of this stuff. And this is a teaching song, right? I'm going to teach you, you're going to repeat after me sort of patter kind of song, which is a classic piece of of musical theater. We think, think about like Do, Re, Mi from The Sound of Music, The Rain in Spain from My Fair Lady, right? These teaching, almost rhyming, very patter, rhythmics uh, that, that appears in this musical. The song Good Guy with a Gun that we love so much, uh, David Henry Huang has said is very much an you know, homage to these sort of of energetic, cultural, uh, togetherness kinds of songs like Shapoopy in The Music Man or The Farmer and the Cow Man in Oklahoma, right? Now, they're singing about their AK-47s in Soft Power, which is, again, how he pulls it. I don't want to pretend that I'm saying that. This is just me summarizing a David Henry Huang interview. Sure, sure. Yeah, no, that all that all that is there, and even the dance numbers, right? There's beautiful. If you if you listen to the the uh, cast recording, the original cast recording, um, there's 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 big musical gaps in it, which is not something that has happened in recent you know cast recordings a lot because we're kind of in this very very uh, robust uh, lyric stage of American theater. But there's there's big uh, musical uh, gaps in the in the tracks, and it's because there are these big dance numbers, which is a very you know like duet dance numbers where where uh Shui Shuing and Hillary do these do this dance together which is a very you know king and i moment so so there's there's all of that um at at play in in this musical that that like kind of leans into yes uh vamping on 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 a specific moment of musical theater with Rodgers and Hammerson but also just American musical theater in general there's there's something interesting about the good guy with a gun song um and and it's you know casting of of the veep uh, by by an Asian actor, all, all all those actors who who are in that scene are Asian actors in whiteface, which is which is a very interesting kind of uh comment like commentary on on the kind of reimagining history or 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 people from like the the Hamilton moment of of people playing uh, historically white characters who are not historically white. So let's pivot a little bit and talk about the title, right? Because I, I, I'm not so sure. Sh- I love titles. Obviously, if you're listening to this podcast, you know that I, I am critical of titles almost more than anything else, which is probably unfair. But so it goes. Uh, <laughs> and I, I this this title is simple enough to be memorable, but I'm not so sure about its its relationship with the actual content of the show, right? So, so soft power is a political science term, of course. It refers 
refers to like not just like hard power would be like military and economic power, right? The things that you can actively leverage over other countries or use in more direct conflicts, right? We're using a lot of hard power right now, or Russia's using hard power in their combat of Ukraine, but then America and the other Western countries are using their hard power in terms of their financial power to try to impact what Russia is doing right now in Ukraine. Soft power, uh, alternatively, I'm going to read a quote from the script now. This is how Shaw describes it. Uh, it. What a truly great civilization achieves is soft power through our ideas, inventions, culture, to change the way people think. America has produced so many international products, such as Catcher in the Rye, Saturday Night Fever, uh, and it goes on to describe how this musical they're going to hopefully write together will be an example of soft power, right? So it's sort of the exporting of culture and values uh, and and persuasive impact, um, the dialogues, the impactful cultural things that come out of a society and impact other societies is its soft power. Right, which is the the kind of main context for the start of the play um is is uh uh Shui desire to 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 have that happen more for for Shanghai to become this center of international thought and international culture and and have some of the values of 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 their culture uh, accepted on a wider uh, on a wider field and and the the kind of critique too of or not critique but the noticing that America's like main export um, is this soft power is entertainment is this sort of thing that is very appealing to the the broader world community um that that uh just kind of comes by virtue of the entertainment that it puts out and is widely brought to the world so that sort of uh, uh proselytizing of the american culture happens through that entertainment and i think there is you're you're right i think to be careful about the use of criticism uh, but I, there's certainly a commentary on the way that uh, America has perpetuated ideas, their ideas of democracy and freedom, which, you know, at their core are really great things. But the way in which they're being shared with other cultures is through these uh, highly tropish, stereotypical retellings of other cultures' stories. So these white characters go to these non, predominantly non-white countries and save them by virtue of espousing the belief in democracy and capitalism and all of this stuff. And that is is one of the ways in which uh, Western American culture gets exported and how maybe highly ineffective that is, right? And so you see the reverse of that in this musical in the kind of climactic scene where Schwarzschwing saves the the political turmoil. He goes to confront uh, the character who is Mike Pence and all of their uh, gun-brandishing uh, allies uh, on Capitol Hill. And uh, he basically gives a rousing speech about how the idea of choosing, uh, you know, uh, elect not, not electing, but choosing educated, smart leaders just by virtue of the sort of the government choosing who's most qualified to serve. The uh, uh, China at the time in real world had sort of put forward these plans to uh, be able to fund projects that would be green in some ways, that would be sort of culturally changing in some ways. So they described that as the new Silk Road. So exporting Chinese like 
uh, in terms of the country's uh, values and culture in terms of how they think of leadership and society and where their money and cultural projects are going to go. Shawshank brings that to Mike Pence and his gun-toting allies and changes their minds and saves the day by virtue of touting those beliefs. Yeah, yeah, it's a it's a it's a scene of soft power over hard power in that scene. It and 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 while while that doesn't eventually convince Hillary Clinton, who has her own uh, set of soft power beliefs that she that she believes in, um, that that is the kind of uh, climactic uh, overcoming scene, and you, you you get to see soft power on display. Um, but but yeah, why 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 does it or how does it uh, affect your um, uh, interpretation of it as the main kind of theme or the main title of the play to kind of wrap around to back what you said right at the top of this around it being used as kind of a central uh, theme? How do you how do you feel it serves the play in that way? Uh, yeah, that, that's, I think, what I'm a little unsure about, because to me, the the repetition of the kind of core idea of stick with your mistake that DHH takes on in the exoskeleton part of the story and then is sort of retranslated through the various pieces in the musical story is I sort of identify that as a little more of a through line than the exporting of cultural and, and values that is is used in the soft power. And I do recognize that in the big climactic confrontation, it is very much a competition of soft power and hard power, right? Because the, the, the sort of the catalyst to that scene needing to be necessary is the, the president who hates China, as the musical describes him, decided to drop bombs on China and Trashing goes to try to sort of save the day. So in that way, that competition of, of political science ideas, soft power versus hard power, very much is at the core of that center conflict. But I'm not as sure as that it drives from the beginning to the end as much as this uh, different idea from the play that they're going to translate into a musical does, the stick with your mistake. Yeah, in, in some ways it's kind of like... Uh, um... Uh, a flag to start the conversation because the, the so the the quote that you read that the only time soft power is actually said in the musical I be, or in the play I believe is in the first eight pages or so of the play um and it's it's said by Shui Shuing who is this executive for this company that wants to hire DHH to do this play um but but then you go on a ver you go on a whole ride right <laughs> um that that includes this musical that that does not that certainly yes deploys the use of soft power and culture. Um, to to have the conversation, but I think I agree. Deals a lot more with this question of do we do we stick around with this? Do we do we continue to commit to this? And, and that's like that to me. That's where the play starts too, right? I mean, the, like the first line of the play is DHH saying, and I believe we're it's the timelines get a little mushy. And actually, some some reviewers have noted too that there are some confusing places in this story. Yeah. Uh, so it, the timelines get a little mushy, but I I believe that the first moment of the play is supposed to be the day after or very recently after Donald Trump is elected president. And DHH is saying, alone on stage, how can I stay in this country now? given that this has happened. Now, it also could be that that scene is supposed to happen as he's recovering from the stabbing, and it's like, how can I stay here now? Again, it's a little bit, uh, I don't know exactly which way it goes. Perhaps a live production would make that more clear to me. But regardless, the first line is based on this 
this premise and this through line. Stick with your mistake, right? DHH is saying, how can I continue to live in this country now? How can I continue to stay here now? And Josh Wing offers him in the exoskeleton story the opportunity to move his family to Shanghai for at least a little while as they sort of refigure out who they are, what this country is. They sort of see what the future is going to hold. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I agree with the first. I think there's enough. Uh, may, maybe it, it maybe you don't because it's the first line, maybe you don't catch it right away and the, the like the, the salient details of the line don't dictate it. But I think but the line is, how could this have happened? Okay, I got the groceries, now I'm just gonna go home. That like that like really grounds it in that moment for me. And and so, so that fundamental question uh, of how can I make this work? How can I how can I continue to live in this ties right into the right in the movie that that uh, Shui Shwing describes ties right into the themes uh, of of Hillary Clinton too Hillary in the second act of of the musical uh, Hillary Clinton is like eating ice cream on pizza after the <laughs> after the election and just like uh, ready to stop trying so hard to try to uh be someone who can lead this country and 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 that's 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 not where she ends up at the end she ends up saying at the end that i'm going to continue to commit to this even though it's broken and has messed me up significantly i'm going to keep trying to figure out a way because it matters it matters like the 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 sort of world that could be crafted from it is so good that that i'm i'm willing to fight through all this other stuff to try to get to it no, I, I also recognize that soft power is like a better title in terms of the commercial reality than right. stick with your mistake is. And musicals, there's a <laughs> lot more. They're more like screenplays, right? There's a lot more commercial interest that gets involved in sort of uh, choosing every aspect of it. I recognize all that. I'm just saying I, I don't find the soft power uh, idea as compelling to how I experience this story as I do this, th- this through line question that DHH asks. How can I continue to live here? That to me, that is the compelling driving question for what this script is rather than a question of military versus cultural exportation to other countries. Yeah, yeah. And, and so so uh, as, as maybe maybe a way to kind of talk about uh, like we, we've talked about pretty meta things. Let's zoom in just a little bit on the characters who fuel this um, uh, this uh, uh, exploration of these themes. Um, we have DHH, we have uh, Shui Shuing, who we've talked about quite a bit. We have Hillary Clinton, who we've talked about real, quite a bit. Those are our three main flagship. Hillary Clinton is played by the same actor who plays Zoe in the in the kind of bra- or the bookend scenes. Zoe has a comparatively small role to Hillary Clinton, but but is there still? Um, so 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 let's. I I I I really want to zoom in on Hillary Clinton as this kind of great tragic character. Um, yeah, it's uh, a great writing uh, of, of a character, and, and I'll say that this is not as this is probably the least character based uh, script that we've read thus far. Yeah. This is much more spectacle and, and theme and plot. Even that is sort of much more loosely held than uh, like the the words and the music and the theme and the spectacle of it all. But yes, the Hillary Clinton character is remarkable, and and, and the way that Huang uses the character to comment on the process of elections, American democracy. She does this great big song and dance routine at this campaign meeting 
where she has to sort of like dance sexy and she tries to explain all these very uh, practical, financially motivate, you know, all these really specific plans that she has for fixing problems in the country. And people keep telling her, we don't have the attention span. Get back to the song and dance routine that is this. And when all that falls apart for her, of course, when she loses the character, uh, she ends up asking the question, like, what was all of that performance for in the end of all this? Yeah, yeah, that 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 first song uh, has a lot of like specific cultural references. Who the, for those who remember the season leading up to the 2016 election um, of of just like what you know the various beats of like <laughs> coming out with this big portfolio of plans and policies and her uh, Betsy the uh, her kind of uh, manager or, or press secretary uh, says Hillary attention spans and so she switch switches back into the more show and dance sort of thing um, so so yeah it's 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 kind of filled with this sort of uh, wondering and and uh, yeah tension uh, for 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 the character of Hillary as as she tries to navigate what she really wants to do, which is lead, um, but being forced to kind of walk through the different uh, uh, beats of the sort of circus um, that that number is a very circus themed number, the circus of the election system, and it's not totally clear to me how much the real David Henry Huang like knows the real Hillary Clinton and and because the the character presented in this musical is a very earnest wants to make America better puts all of her energy 100% into solving problems with real practical solutions and ends up falling short and has to deal with the pain of that and I know that a lot of people in America don't think of Hillary Clinton that way yeah. and would say that this <laughs> musical really paints her in a good light right uh, and and that would be pe- even people who voted for her right so I, I this musical really takes like the best version of someone like Hillary Clinton, right? Who has to work through the crazy song and dance nutsoness of an American election. Like at one point that they're singing about elections and the castings and you can spend as much money as you want. And Schwarzenegger is like, is that a good idea? You sure? <laughs> so that kind of stuff, right? That, that David Henry Hong uses a character named Hillary Clinton to, as an investigation of what that might do to people who even have the best heart to try to solve things. I don't know if his intention is to say, this was my experience of the real Hillary Clinton. I, I remember from Yellowface that uh, that the, the Huangs as a family, before David Henry Huang had his own career, were fairly politically involved. Um, so I think it is possible that David Henry Huang knows the Clintons well and, and really feels this way about her. But I'm not sure if that is supposed to be what we take away from that character or not. I agree. I, I think I think it quickly, though, though, again, it's a very culturally relevant name that everyone knows. Quickly, the character of Hillary Clinton becomes this archetype, um, yeah. this this sort of this this character who is who is less based in something uh, completely factual and more based in the scenario that's being presented in this sort of surrealist 50 years in the future sort of appropriative musical. 
Yeah, absolutely. Well, the the last thing I think, and I don't know how much time we really have, but that commentary interlude at the top of Act Two is just so amazing. So we we've seen the musical um, that is being made, the first half of it, which ends with the election not going the right or the way that the characters were expecting to, and uh, we go to intermission and we come back to the uh, this sort of panel of experts. We described it in the synopsis, and the the white token expert is named like you know something very sort of stereotypical Harry Harry O'Hara O'Hara, O'Hara. Yep. yeah 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 and the 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 panel of experts all describe the, basically they're analyzing the stabbing of David Henry Wong who was you know they're now they're fifty years in the future the the person who wrote this musical that it was based off of and uh, Harry O'Hara this token panelist tries to keep making like corrections and specifications and the panel just sort of keeps assuming that he's misinformed or that his, his education, his, his thinking is not as good. For example, the panel cl- sort of claims that, oh, well, uh, China invented this sung drama idea. And, and Harry O'Hara goes, actually, I think American really sort of invented the big song and dance musical. And the panel says something to the effect of there weren't even artists in a real sense in America. They were native craftspeople, right? <laughs> Very much how American thinkers sometimes infantilize uh, art and culture exported to America from other countries. Yeah, yeah, there's another one where he says, with all due respect, there's major inaccuracy in the show. The Golden Gate Bridge isn't in New York. And the response is, why quibble over details or something like that? So, yeah, it's it's just this this great critique of how these panels are generally conducted. And that's such a great example, too, because that's the that is the kind of thing that Americans would be like, they're on opposite sides of the country. It's It's nowhere near New York City. But it's but I, I would believe that that is very much the case when we see a story about an Asian culture written by white Americans and there are those kinds of inaccuracies that white Americans are like, well, it's a little bit inaccurate, but you know, whatever. And and people from that culture are like, that's a big, ina- like they're on opposite sides of the country, man. They're oh, yeah. nowhere near each other. Yeah, and even down to like the they they, they pronounce his name wrong in yeah. the, in the and like certainly we've we've apologized for that profusely on this show before not being able to pronounce names right so yeah there's all sorts of stuff that's being examined in in the in in that 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 great interact scene where it kind of gets you to to uh, kind of zoom out take a lens and look at different moments and and the great thing about these scenes is they sort of stick with you so the next time yeah. you go to a panel you you have this scene ringing around in your head and you're like oh wow this is this yep this is the scene from that play that i saw the other day yeah i just i love that scene it's my favorite scene in this whole play you could just you could almost just go read that and really get a sense of what david henry huang is trying to do in the way he reverses these common realities that we see uh so much in western culture I think that's our conversation on soft power and, by extension, on the themed month wow. of David Henry Huang plays. Another themed month in the books. This was a great one. David Henry Huang is just amazing. I mean, just an amazing artist and writer. The stuff that he has created, I mean, all five of his scripts that we've looked at now are just 
so good. They're so smart and creative. They're such specific realities coming from his lived experience, but also speaking to a broader culture. It's hard to find anybody that does it better than him. Yeah, I'm super grateful to have gotten to kind of spend this time in the four place to be able to read these different scripts and be able to talk about them. Super grateful that we get to continue talking about them with all of you out there in podcast land. If you're looking to join the conversation, if you have something that you noticed, if you have something that you want to talk about, whether you were in one of these plays in soft power, perhaps, um, wow, or, that'd be cool. or that'd be cool, <laughs> um, uh, or and just or just have read it, have seen it, wants to talk about t- talk to someone about it we'd love to have that conversation with you you can find us on facebook instagram or twitter at the username at no script podcast we also have a gmail no script podcast at gmail.com you can find us on any of those sites we'd love to keep talking about this play with you absolutely if you've liked this episode if you've enjoyed this theme month or other theme months if you are a fan or a regular listener or however you engage with no script we just ask you to consider passing us on to your family and friends that is the way this podcast grows. They can find us on Podbean, on uh, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. There's a couple other places too, but those are the major ones. You can also like us on Facebook and the link to a new episode will appear every Monday for those less technologically savvy folks in your life. They can connect with us on Facebook and easily access us there. We are back to regular programming next week. We will be discussing a play that is not by David Henry Huang, which in some ways is sad. I would do 10 more of the David Henry Henry Huang plays, but there's a lot of plays and a lot of playwrights out there. So we will return to our regular programming next week. So until then, I am Jackson Nikolai. I am Jacob Mann Christensen. Thanks for joining us for No Script, the podcast. <laughs>